Dr. Noe uh, Garcia, our senior pastor, he's away today, but one of the things that he did was he took uh, a group of us that were going to be teaching the next couple weeks, and we all got in his office, and we just really got into the Word, got into Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7, and we started praying over there and dissecting it and just asking, Lord, what do you want to speak? Uh, pastor was helping us with some hermeneutics and just some study habits and just walking through what is the text saying, what does it mean to us, and we're praying through there, and we saw this common theme throughout Romans 6 and 7. And if you haven't guessed it already, just with the music selection and everything has been intentional and that God's just been doing an awesome thing, but the, the, the common theme of this book is the word freedom, that Jesus wants you to be free. It says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And it said that Jesus said all throughout the New Testament that he came to set the captives free. And all throughout the book of Romans that Paul wrote, he's writing about this freedom. And um, we were sitting in his office and, and we were like, Pastor, just for a minute, let's just close the Bible for a minute. I just, just share your heart. Like when you think of the word freedom, what comes to mind? And so he closed his eyes and he just started sharing. And it was so good. When he got done, I said, uh, can you do that again? And can we record that? Um, and he was like, yeah, that's kind of weird, but yeah, yeah, you can do that. And I said, I, I really think our church needs to hear that. That's so good. Um, and so we brought in our media crew and we just recorded. We have a lot of audio, but we, we clipped it down to just a couple things. And I want you to hear, uh, we shared this bumper video last week before the, the last song, but I just want you to hear right quick, a couple of things that pastor says that will really set up the text for today in Romans. So go ahead and roll that clip. Freedom, a word that means so many different things to so many different people. When I think of the word freedom, I think of the soul and spirit that is no longer bonded to the things of this world. I think of the person who is not handcuffed to the past, who is not drowning in guilt in the present, but is free because of the hope they have in the future. That word freedom, when it's tied to the word of God, is also coupled with sanctification. It's coupled with frustration. It's coupled with pain. Because in order to be free from something, you have to be released from something else. And the word of God brings the freedom that releases you from the slavery of this world. He said something there that I want us to just camp out on for a minute. He said, in order to be truly free, in order to be free, you must be released from something else. And the word of God, this is important, the word of God brings the freedom that releases you from the slavery of this word of this world. And so today we're going to get into the word of God. We're going to be in Romans chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 7. Last week, Pastor Kristen um, and in, in the traditional service, uh, Pastor Granger did an amazing job at talking about how Paul said that we are released from the law. We're released from the law. And then he starts off in verse 7, and he goes a little bit of a different direction. And we're going to bring some clarity to that today. If you're in your Bible or on your phone or we'll have it on the screen, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. Let's read this. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. 
Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. That's hard to say. Covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Now, you might have just read that and said, man, Romans is a little difficult because it seems like Paul's all over the place. He's saying we're released from the law. Now he's saying the law is holy. Like, I don't know. He's all over the place. But there's something else. It's the first thing that Pastor Noe said on this video. And he said this. He said, freedom, a word that means so many different things to so many different people. And Paul gets it. He, he, this is exactly why he seems to be contradicting himself in Romans. That's why last week we read in the first part of chapter 7, he's saying that we are released from the law. He's talking to the Gentiles. He says, I'm, you're released from the law. You don't have to start doing all these laws. And he's talking about the Mosaic law, which is the Ten Commandments. But really looking in, in depth at that law, really there was 660 laws. Where you can sit, when you can sit there, what you can eat. Uh, you need to be circumcised. You need to do this. You need to do all this stuff. And it's all these laws. And then, and then what Paul was saying is that, for the Gentiles, you're released from that law. But Paul gets it. Then he jumps in in, chapter, uh, in verse 7. He says, what then should we say? Is the law sin? And this is exactly what Paul is doing. And it dawned on me as I was studying this that we need to remember, and we talked about this a lot, and this is why context is so important when reading the Bible. Paul was talking to two different audiences. See, every single letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia and Ephesus and all those different places, he's been to those places. He helped, he helped plant those churches. But in Romans, it's one of the first places that he, he hasn't been to. And so what he's doing, what Paul is doing here, we call this in modern times, we call it apologetics. He's anticipating objections. But he knew who his audience was. His audience was the Gentiles and the Jews. And so verses 1 through 6, he's talking to the Gentiles. And that's why he's saying, you're released from the law. You don't have to follow all these rules and regulations and do all these things to be right with me. But then the Jews come in and they're like, well, that's great, Paul, but you just kind of diminished our entire way of living. I want you to look at Leviticus 18.5. This is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior to this. And this is in the law. It says, keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Pretty definitive, right? God's saying, keep my decrees and my laws. So the Jews are saying, wait a minute, verses 1 through 6, Paul. Like you're saying that we're released from the law, but saying that you're released from the law is almost sacrilegious to the Jews because they're like, this isn't just a little something. You're actually telling us that we're released from something that has been a way of life for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. What you're saying, and so the Gentiles are going, preach it, Paul. This is incredible. We're released from the law. Amen. Grace, 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 I can do what I want, and grace, grace, grace. And the Jews are saying, hold on a minute. Like, you are asking us to be somebody that we have, to not be somebody that we've been forever. And Paul sees this. And so here Paul says, don't get too excited, Gentiles. He said, the law is actually not bad. 
The fact is, it's holy. Let's look at verse 12. He says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Y'all confused yet? All right. So you're released from the law, but the law is good. So we see here that Paul is addressing two audiences, but this is the point. He's addressing two audiences that have two different bondage issues. We're talking about freedom. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, Jews, I'm just going to speak to the bondage to their dependence on the law. They were in bondage to the dependence on the law. They were so wrapped up into their rituals and their law. And what they were actually doing, I'm going to throw a statement out here that might be controversial. But what they were doing, God gave them a lot of laws, but they were adding laws and adding laws and adding laws and adding laws. And what they were doing, my kind of definition is they were trying to, they were trying to perfect themselves apart from God. They were trying to add laws and do all the stuff. And actually, that was their attempt to be perfect, but they always fell short. And so the Jews were in bondage to their dependence on the law. The Gentiles were in bondage to their independence from the law. That's why earlier... He said, Paul said, so do you keep sinning so grace can abound even more? So we can have more grace? And he's like, by no means. But then in verse 7 here, he says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. They were both in bondage, either into the, end of the dependence on the law for the Jews. And this is driving me crazy. Sorry. Bondage to their independence from the law. So here's the point. They were both in bondage. They weren't living in freedom. They weren't living in freedom. Y'all with me so far? We're going to build a case, okay? So where does freedom come in? If they were both in bondage, then where does freedom come in? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at the second part of verse 7 and on, and then I'm going to give you an illustration to help us wrap our mind around this. So he says, and just leave this verse up there. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Um, I've got a picture I'm going to throw up on the screen of my youngest son. His name is Locke. And uh, y'all could say, aw, he's, I know he's cute. And so, um, but don't let the cuteness deceive you. <laughs> all right? Look through the cuteness into those little beady eyes and look at that little smirk on his face. And he doesn't know Jesus yet. He hasn't put his faith in Jesus yet. And behind all that cuteness right there, he's a rebellious little sucker. <laughs> he is. He's super rebellious. And, um, and all of our kids to some, well, our oldest, he's kind of an anomaly. He was like the perfect kid. But, but all of our, you know, Lyric and Locke, they just went through these kind of rebellious stages. And, man, he just likes to, he likes, if you tell him, do not push the red button, what is he going to do? He's going to push the red button. And this is what Paul's talking about here. So let me give this analogy. When Locke was a little bit uh, younger, um, he, uh, you can take that picture off now because nobody's going to listen to me and keep looking at the, the cuteness. I'm a biased dad. So um, when Locke um, was younger, a little bit younger, um, we remember we were cooking and the stove was getting real hot and he, had, he, he wasn't even worried about the stove. Uh, but, but to protect him and to keep him from burning himself, we said, Locke, um, come here. And he came and we said, listen, do not touch the stove because it will burn you. Don't touch the stove because it's going to burn you. And this is what Paul is saying here. So he says, for, if I, for, for I would not have known what it is to covet or what it is to touch the stove that's hot when my parents said not to, unless the law or the commandment um, said you shall not touch that. But sin, 
seizing an opportunity, this is key, through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. So at that point, when we told, he wasn't even thinking about the stove, but when we called him to us and we said, don't touch the stove because it's hot. We weren't trying to be killjoys. We weren't giving him a commandment and a law because we were, we were sticks in the mud and we wanted to give all these rules to our the son. We were doing it to protect him, right? But the minute that we told him, do not touch the stove, something happened. That little rebel, immediately, because of the sin nature, we were all born in the sin, because he knew the commandment, because he knew the law, all right? So the law of thermodynamics, right? If something heats up and you touch it, it will burn you, right? You get that? I'm not going to get into the law. I'm not a physics major, but the law of thermodynamics, there's a law there. The law didn't kill Locke. The law wasn't bad. What was bad is that sin when it had an opportunity, caused him to rebel. And so what Locke did, all of you can guess, Locke said, okay, they told me not to touch the stove, but you know what? I'm curious now. I want to touch that stove. And the minute he touched it, ow, he died. At least his skin did, right? (laughs) Right? And so he touches. So the key to that is, let's look at this. He says, I once was alive apart from the law. Locke was alive. Okay, it's an analogy. But when the commandment came and we told him, don't do this, sin came alive in him, that rebellious nature, and he died, or at least his skin did. The very commandment, verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. And we all fall in this category. We gave that commandment to Locke because we didn't want him to get hurt. But the very thing that promised life to his finger, at least, because of sin, he touched it and it brought death and consequence. Does that make sense? And this is what Paul's saying here. This is the key. Why? Not because the law of thermodynamics was bad. It was actually good. The reason why was because sin is bad. What Paul is saying here is that the law of God God has given us his law, the Ten Commandments. He's given us these things to live by, these statutes to live by, because he loves us. He's not a killjoy. He's given us this, these things, these, law, these laws and all this stuff because he wants to protect us. And, and by what Paul is saying is he's saying the law isn't bad. I'm not saying that you're released from the law because the law is bad. What I'm saying is not that the law is bad, but that sin is is bad. Your rebellious nature, just who you are when you were born, we're all born in the sin because of Adam and Eve's sin. Sin takes what God created to be holy. Let's define sin right quick. Sin takes what God desired and created to be holy and righteous, and sin distorts it. Let me give you an example. Sex. God gave sex to be pleasurable, to be between a man and a woman, between a man and a wife, um, man, it, it's for to, to, to love each other. It, he created it to be an incredible thing, but sin distorts it, and he created immorality. Sin created immorality and gratification, self-gratification by whatever means necessary. You see what I'm saying? God created this thing, but what sin is is distorts what God created. Sin takes our friendships and our relationships that are good for us, encouraging and true community, and sin distorts it, and it creates gossip. And using people for our own agendas. Sin takes food that God gave us to sustain life. And he also gave us taste buds. How many of y'all say amen? That we can taste incredible food and we love it. But sin distorts it and makes gluttony. 
and poison to our bodies, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You guys tracking with me? He takes sin and the enemy takes what God created to be holy. And it's the same thing with religion and the law. He takes religion or he takes the law of God, the sin and the enemy. He takes that and distorts it and turns it into pride and turns it into right, uh, false righteousness and, and criticism and just turns it into that. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, he's saying that the law is not bad, but our sin is bad. And what he's really getting at is he's really showing us that God does not sh- just want to free us from rules and laws, but he wants to free us from our sin. He wants to free us from our sin. This is talking about the deep, dark-rooted this demise of our sin in our lives. God doesn't give us rules and regulations. Just like as parents, we don't give our kids rules and stuff just to be killjoys. We do that to protect them, to help them live, to make sure that they are living the best life that God has planned for them and that we have planned for him if we don't know the Lord. And so uh, let me give you another illustration. Um, there was a, a secular study. This wasn't even a Christian study. A psychologist did this study. Some of you might have heard of this. And they took a big one-acre um, playground, and they put some slides and monkey bars and a bunch of sand pits and stuff like right in the middle. And they let the kids go out and play for several weeks, and they just recorded data. And they took, air, they took a drone, and they took some helicopters, and they took aerial photos of this playground. And there was no fence, no barrier, nothing like that. Um, they, were, they took a bunch of pictures, and what they found out uh, was that all the kids were in cliques. They were kind of grouped together. They were all toward the center of the playground. The bullying was off the charts. Um, there was insecurity. There were behavior problems, and it was just, it was just a kind of a mess. Um, and they found out that there's a lot of cliques. There was fear, and all this stuff was happening. And then they took and they put a one-acre fence around this playground, all the way out to the outskirts, put this fence around the playground. Then they took another aerial photo, and they, they recorded data for the next couple of weeks, and something amazing happened. The kids that were all in cliques were all playing with different, and these are the same kids, uh, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all that stuff. And, um, and what they found was that the kids were not just kind of clustered and centered around the center of the playground, but they were actually spread out all the way to the edges of the fence. There was less bullying, less fear, less fights, less behavior problems. And what they discovered, and again, this is a secular study. This is not a Christian study. It's not Bible, nothing. What they found is that there is more freedom within boundaries and parameters than when there's not. Because what they found was that when there was no barriers, that there was fear that was bred. And, and, and the kids were fearful, and that's why they clicked, and that's why they partnered with somebody else to protect themselves. And there was no barriers. And, and that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that, man, there is so much more freedom. We're talking about freedom. There is more freedom within God's boundaries than when you're out just doing whatever you want to do. There's way more freedom. And just like God has a purpose and a plan for our lives, we also have an adversary. We call him Satan and his demons. And he has a plan for our lives too. His plan is to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't want the parameters. He wants to get in. If this was out in Montana or something like that, they're reintroducing wolves into the areas and stuff like that. And and, you know, and they're saying that a lot of their kids can't go out and play anymore because they're afraid all these wolves that are reintroducing to uh, Yellowstone and all that, they're coming in and they're attacking kids and, and there's no parameter. 
And what Paul is saying here and what the Lord, I think, is wanting to tell us is that, hey, I have rules. I have some things. When you give, my life to, when you give your life to me, I'm going to give you some, some things that I want you to abide by. But it's not just to be a killjoy. I want you to have more freedom. I want you to be within these parameters. I want what's best for you. I want to protect you from the enemy. But the enemy does want to kill, steal, and destroy, John 10.10. 10. If you remember in Genesis, when Satan goes up to Eve... He tells her something. He has her try the fruit. And he says, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. You will be like God. Satan is the great imitator. And I want to read. I went back and forth, and I prayed through this, and I shared with the staff this morning. And I want to read an excerpt of a book I'm currently reading. And I think this is going to speak to some of you. I'm reading a book right now called Your Adversary, the Devil. And um, this is so important when it comes to the text because what Paul is saying is that God's law protects us from the attacks of the enemy. And this book, Your Adversary to Devil, it's really, it's really a, um, a theology of Satan and how he came about. And his big premise, the guy who wrote this, um, is if you're going to do spiritual warfare and you're going to understand, you need to understand how the enemy works. And so um, it's just kind of a theology of Satan and, and his demons and all that stuff. But I want to read a passage, uh, just an excerpt. I paraphrase some of it just to make it shorter. But listen to this. We need to be aware of a general misunderstanding. Looking at a homeless drug addict or someone who wasted their life or is on skid row or in jail or an addict or whatever, we say, look at what Satan has done. There is Satan's masterpiece. But I beg to differ with you. Satan is as nauseated and disgusted by that product as you are. Satan wants to wash his hands of that person and have nothing to do with him or her, even though he or she belongs to him. Satan's, listen to this, Satan's masterpiece is the good, upright, honest, honorable, respected individual in the community who feels that he does not need Jesus Christ, he does not need God, that he can work out his own salvation without God's help. The man concerning whose character there is no question, against whose reputation there is no flaw, but who leaves God out of his life is Satan's delight. That is Satan's masterpiece. Satan is trying to make his children as much like God as possible for them to be without their ever putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Satan is striving for protection, perfection. Satan is striving for perfection. He is seeking to produce a perfect man or woman apart from Christ. And I believe in the room today, based on this passage and based on being free, there's some people that might relate more to the Jews. You're a person that kind of lives by the rules, lives by the law. You might even be religious. And there are some people that are like, I don't really need the law. I don't really need church. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't really need that. And what, what I'd like to show is that I believe there are three different people in the world. Three different kinds of types of people that are in this church today. And when we look at the law, whether we're released from the law or whether we are part of the law, and when we look at that and when we think about freedom and all, there are three types of people. So they're going to throw up a graphic up there that shows three types of people. And I want you to think about which one you may fit in. I think we all would like to say we're free people. But let's just be honest for a minute. There are religious people, self-reliant people, and free people. All right. Religious people, religious people are dependent on the law. The law makes them right. Their whole life is wrapped around following rules. They're religious and it doesn't even have to be Christian religion. It could be any religion. They're just kind of follow these rules. But then a self-reliant person is dependent on themselves. 
I don't really need God. I don't really need rules and regulations. I am my own God. And that a free people is absolutely dependent on God. If you're a Christian in the room, you know that in and of yourself, you'd be a total mess. But if it wasn't for God, you would be a mess. You are totally dependent on the grace of Jesus. The religious person says, I can save myself. I can do all these things to save myself. The self-reliant person says, I don't need to be saved. What do I need to be saved for? It's the, what, what, that's your adversary, the devil, what he's talking about, Satan's masterpiece. It's the person that has it all together, that everything's going well, their kids are healthy, they make a lot of money maybe, they've reached all their goals, and they're like, I'm good. I don't really need to be saved. But the free person, and they, they, they admit, I desperately need a savior. A religious person thinks this way, my works will make me right with God. My works, I can do more, I can have more church attendance, I can do more stuff. My works makes me right with God. The self-reliant person says, I am my own God. They might not say those words, but they say, hey, I'll choose what's right and wrong. I don't need the Bible to tell me what's right and wrong. What's right for you might be wrong for me, and what's wrong for you might be right for me. We're just all going to coexist, and we're all going to float around and, you know, there's no right or wrong and what's right for you. And, and that self-reliant person, they're, what they're saying is, I am my own God. I determine what's right and wrong. But we know that as free people in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the only one that makes us right with God. That's that doctrine we talked about a couple weeks ago and Pastor reiterated called justification, that because of the finished work on the cross, that Jesus died, he was buried and he rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that he makes us right with God. At that moment that we put our trust in God, he makes us right. We're not our own God. Religion isn't our God. Laws aren't our God. Our God is Jesus, and he connects us to God. The religious person says, I can get better on my own strength. I can overcome that sin. I can do it on my own. I'll just go to church more. I'll do this more. I'll put more software on my computer. I'll whatever. I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fix it myself. The self-reliant person says, I don't need any help. I'm good. Y'all see a pattern. But free people say, I'm a total mess. I've been justified with Christ when I gave my life to him. But I need the Holy Spirit, the ongoing. So it's the finished work of Jesus Christ that justifies us, makes us right with God. But it's the ongoing filling and dwelling and help of the Holy Spirit in our lives that help us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And then lastly, religious people um, this is the result. When a religious person is all based on their religion, they have a constant disappointment in themselves and others because they can never meet the standards of God. That's why the Jews kept adding laws, trying to perfect, perfect, adding laws, adding laws. Well, if we do this, let me add this model. Let me add this law. Let me add this law. And they're just, or, so they're either disappointed in themselves because they can never match the character of God or they're disappointed in other people because those people don't match what they think the standard should be. And what they tend being as religious people tend to be the most critical people in the world. They're critical of others. They're critical of themselves. They're insecure. They're just critical, critical, critical. How many of y'all met somebody that was supposedly religious, but they were the most critical person you've ever met, right? And why is that? It's not, not that they're bad people. It's just that they don't have, they're not free. They're in bondage to the law. They're in bondage to religion. The self-reliant people, those people are disappointed, discontented, or disillusioned. Let me explain. They're either disappointed or discontented. I love what Tom Brady said. I don't love it. It's actually really sad. But Tom Brady, 
he, he got all these um, Super Bowl rings. He's married to a supermodel. He's got all this stuff. He's got all this money. And he says there's got to be more to life than this. Right? He's disappointed. He's discontent. Uh, Jim Carrey, the famous theologian Jim Carrey. How many of y'all like Jim Carrey? He says, I wish, um, and I, anyway, uh, my mind just went somewhere funny uh, with Saturday Night Live. Anyway, uh, Jim Carrey, he says, I wish that everyone could make millions of dollars and reach all their goals and, and do everything that, that they want to do to see that it's still not the answer. Both of those guys are not saved that I know of. And they're discontented. They're disappointed. Or... This person that's self-reliant is disillusioned. This is the person that says, I'm good. I got it all together. I don't really, and I've had people, I've sat in an office with people like this, and it breaks my heart. They said, I don't really see why I need a Savior. I don't really know why I need God. My life is good. My kids are good. But the reason I call that disillusionment, because there will be a time in life when they come to a crossroads. They will get a diagnosis that's not ideal. Um, they will lose a loved one. They will lose a job. Something will happen in life. The enemy's good at this. He gets you feeling real comfortable, and then he does the bait and switch. And then you will have, just because of life and because we live in these broken bodies, but something's going to happen to that self-reliant person where their sense of control and self-reliance can't fix it. And at that moment, that person that's self-reliant has the decision to make. Are they going to be dependent on God? in the middle of that trial? Or are they going to go and be dependent on what the world says will fill you, whether it be alcohol, drugs, sex, more money, whatever. Religion, some people run to religion um, and they try to fix it, but they're still discontented, dis, dis, um, uh, disappointed, and they're just disillusioned. But free people, free people experience freedom, purpose, peace, and joy. As the, the band comes up, it's a short message today um, to just lead us in worship. I, I just want to ask you just to close your eyes for a minute and then think about those three types of people and which one you might be. Uh, I'm not up here to judge. I'm not saying if you're religious or you're self-reliant that anything's wrong with you. I just My plead is that you come to know the saving grace of Jesus, that you become not dependent on yourself or your religious or your works, but you come and be dependent on God to save you. See, free people don't have to prove anything to anybody. Free people know they're not all that, so they, don't, they, they have a lot more grace toward other people. They're not critical. They, they know, man, I'll, I'd be a mess if it weren't for God. And so that helps you to extend grace to other people. But religious people and self-reliant people, they're just critical of other people. They never meet their standards. Free people know all their needs will be provided. We believe in the Bible, that the Bible says that if you trust in Jesus Christ, it won't mean that you won't have hurt in your life and all, but that your needs will be provided for, that God will provide all your needs and ultimately will bring us to heaven one day. Free people have purpose in their lives. They're not always wanting something else. They're fulfilled, and they, they have purpose. They know that every single thing that happens in their lives happened for a reason, that God wants to, to use that in their life. They want to use that and free people ultimately, and I think this is the most important one that everybody's searching for, free people have peace. Free people have peace. When Paul says so in verse 12, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good, that is God's love letter, his laws, his, 
his way of life, the thing when he wants us to put our faith in him alone for our salvation, he does that because he loves us. He does it because he wants you to be free from the snares of this world. And it's frustrating sometimes. We go through things in life and it's frustrating. We have to wrestle with that. But the person that's truly free knows it's not about what they can do themselves and it's not about religion or law can do. And that's what Paul was saying in his text. He's saying, it's not that the law is bad. This issue is not about the law. This issue is about your sin. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, I'm not sure what the Lord's speaking to you about today. But you might have been viewing the law as something that's just a pain. And you don't really need the law. You don't need rules. You don't need, you want to come up with what's right and what's wrong. You might be a person that, man, you're faithful. You go to church. You do all the stuff. You, you, you know, you do all these rules. But, you, but when, when people talk about being free and having a relationship with Jesus, you don't experience that. And you don't know why. And it's frustrating because you do all the right things, but you don't have this relationship. If that's you, if you're either of those two people and you want to be free today, the gift of God is totally free. In Romans chapter 10, we'll get to, he says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the only thing you have to do is say a prayer in your heart right now. If this is you, just say something like this in your own words to God. Just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I've been relying on myself. I've been relying on all these religious activities. But I realize that it is not what has given me freedom. It's actually given me more bondage. And Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I admit that I need you to make me right with God. And if you admit that you're a sinner and you repent, you turn from your sins and you ask Jesus to come in, that he gives you his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit helps you to get right. You don't have to get right today before you come to God. You come to him like you are. You put your faith in him and then he gives you his Holy Spirit to help you to become more dependent on him. And he gives you his Holy Spirit to help you. And and we as a church, that's why we're here. We're here to help you walk your new walk of faith and to help you to stay free, not just be free, but stay free because God truly came to set the captives free. If you are not free today, God wants you to be free. So I'm going to pray for us. And if that was you, we're going to have some pastors and ministers at the the front of the, the altar. It's not magic. If you don't, it doesn't save you of your sins just to walk down. But God always, he always wants us to respond when he speaks to us. And when he speaks to us through his word or through a song or however he speaks to us, our, our role is just to respond to him. And you might not even know how to respond. That's why our ministers are here. They'll help you. They'll help you respond. Just come and tell them what's going on in your heart. What's God doing? So let me pray for us right quick. Our band is going to lead us. I want every single person in this room to be able to sing that song we sang earlier, Resurrected. By your spirit, I will rise. From the ashes of defeat, like he wants to free us from our sin.